morning journey. Happy Mother's Day. It's great to see so many of you here this morning. And as I thought about my mom, this morning we're going to dive into Philippians chapter 3, and we're going we're gonna to talk about this idea of what do you put your confidence in? Uh, what are the things in your life that you're confident will happen? And it made me think of, of moms, right? That your mom is that one person that many times, for many of us, that we put our, our confidence and we believe that they'll always be there, that they'll always do certain things, right? Or they'll always say inappropriate things, if you have my mom, um, or other things like that, right? And, and this idea of what do you place your confidence in, it made me think of uh, back in high school, I had, I had a buddy that when we got to college, he went, we went our separate ways, and he was in college down in Lincoln, and we ran into each other on an alumni weekend right after spring break, and he said, what did you do for spring break? And I said, well, I went to Bible college, so I didn't do anything. And uh, I said, what did you do for spring break? And uh, he said, well, we went down to South Padre. And I thought, okay, I can see where this is going. And he said, a group of us, I got to tell you the story, man. He said, a group of us, we were out and we were having a good time during the day. And he said, I was pretty far into my cups and we decided to go bungee jumping. And I thought, right, like, if you're going to be drunk, why wouldn't you go bungee jumping? That seems like a thing you don't want all your faculties for. And he said they got to this place, and all of his buddies were like, we're going to go bungee jumping, we're going to go bungee jumping. And everybody started chickening, chickening out. And he said, but I was like, no, we're going. We're going. He said, and he goes, the guy goes, well, it doesn't look real sturdy. And my buddy says, oh, it's fine. He goes, that guy looks like he's 12. That's like shoving people off. Oh, it's fine. He said, so they got in a little lift or the elevator thing that went to the top. And he said, I'm stumbling around. And he said, I got to the top. And he said, we get out. And he said, I walk to the ledge. And he said, can I tell you something? I said, sure. And he says, if you ever want to get sober, you should walk out on a place where you're going to go bungee jumping. <laughs> and I said, I never really put the two together, but okay. And so he said he got to the ledge and he looked out and he said, all of a sudden, he said, I turned around. He said, I was like, are you sure this thing's real sturdy? And he said, I turned around, and I, I checked the rope, and I checked the harness, and I started interviewing this guy. Like, I asked him like 35 questions. I wanted to know where he was from and what his degrees were, and did he know what he was doing? He said, I asked all these questions. And he said, and then all my friends who didn't want to go, they jumped. And he said, I rode the elevator of shame all the way down to the bottom. <laughs> See, the funny thing is, you're never going to step out or take a leap off of something you have no confidence in, right? Well, we're going to be in the first 11 verses of Philippians chapter 3 this morning. And what Paul is really going to be talking about is what is it that a Christian puts their confidence in? And Paul's actually going to list some things that are a little more sturdy than a bungee cord. Paul's going to list some things that aren't necessarily bad, but what Paul is going to remind us of this morning is that there is one thing that a Christian's confidence is in. So we're going to look at the first six verses first as we walk through this in chapter 3. Paul says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and we put no confidence in the flesh. Paul says, though I myself have reason for that kind of confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. 
Paul says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I obeyed it so much I was a Pharisee. As to zeal or passion, I was a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. And Paul tells us at the beginning of this, over and over and over again, Paul says we have no confidence in outward acts and accomplishments. There is no confidence in outward acts or accomplishments. Like, like most of us, like most church people today, Paul in his life had just enough morality, just enough goodness to keep him out of trouble, but not enough to get him into heaven. <laughs> Paul reminds us in this passage, Paul says, if you think you've done all the church things that you need to do to go to heaven, Paul said, I did more. Paul said, if you think you're living the moral life that religious people want you to live, I lived it better. Paul says, if you think you've done all the rituals and all the things that one has to do to be made right with God, I did all of them, and then I did them again. Paul says, all the things of the flesh and all the things of outward acts and accomplishments that you think you can do to get your way to heaven, Paul says, I did all of them and more, and I have no confidence in those things. And I have no confidence in their ability to get me to heaven. What, what's going on here in Paul's day is there, there's a strict group of Jewish believers who have been opposing Paul everywhere he goes. Every place that Paul goes and he preaches the gospel, they've been opposing Paul and his ministry. And what they're doing is they're teaching that those who weren't Jewish, the Gentiles, that it was necessary for them to submit to all the Jewish rules before they could become a Christian. Specifically, that they needed to be circumcised or they weren't real Christians and they weren't saved. And this disagreement comes to a head in Acts chapter 15. And there's a conference that goes on between the disciples and the leaders. And they have to decide, are they going to make non-Jewish people do Jewish things in order to be called Christian? And the result of that conference is that Paul and his ministry received approval that Gentiles did not have to become Jewish in order to become a Christian. But this group, this opposition, did not go away. In fact, it only grew. Its discontent only became more and more with this decision. And so they end up following Paul everywhere that Paul goes. And they would try to steal converts from Paul. And they would go into Paul's churches and they would convince these people to leave the church, telling them that if they weren't circumcised, if they weren't doing all these Jewish things, if they weren't following Jewish law, then they really weren't saved. And this group of false teachers became known as the Judaizers. And what Paul is telling us in this passage is he says, this is a false teaching. Now, let me be real clear this morning. Paul doesn't necessarily say that some of the things they're asking them to do are bad. Paul's not saying that there's anything wrong with circumcision. Paul's not saying that there's anything wrong with obeying Jewish law. Paul's not saying there's anything wrong with even obeying some of Jewish tradition. In fact, Paul would have been a guy that still obeyed all the Jewish hours of prayer. Paul would have been a guy that celebrated all the Jewish festivals. Paul would have been that guy in many respects. What Paul was saying is if you think that's what saves you, you're wrong. And what Paul was saying is he said if you think that's what you have to do to get saved, then you don't understand what needed to be done for salvation to happen. 
It's kind of like the lady who was arguing with her pastor about this idea of faith and works and how do they go together. And that, that's an argument we have all the time. Like it's a, it's a weird thing, right? Like we know we're supposed to be obedient, but we also know that we're saved by faith. And how do those fit together? And they were going back and forth. And this is the illustration she used. And it sounds really good. She said, I think that getting to heaven is like rowing a boat. And she said, I think one oar is faith. And the other oar is obedience and works. And I think if you use both of those oars, you get yourself to heaven. But if you only use faith or if you only use works, then you just go around in circles. And that sounds good, right? Like that, like that sounds like a really smart and intellectual and spiritual thing to say, that, that I'm in the boat with God, I'm going to heaven, it's my faith on one hand that gets me there, but on the other hand, I'm working for Jesus, and that, that's what shows I'm a Christian, and that's what gets me there. And it sounded really good, but I like what her pastor said. Her pastor said, the only thing wrong with your illustration is nobody's going to heaven in a rowboat. And I think that's what Paul's reminding us in this passage that if you think you can put these things in the boat and that's what will get you to heaven, Paul says you're not going to heaven in a rowboat. Paul says you have no confidence in those things to get you to heaven. None. And this passage reminds us of a couple things. That there, there can be some really good things in our life. Things that Christians should have in their lives. But it's not what our confidence is in eternally. And it also reminds us in this passage that false teachers and people who claim things that are outside of the gospel, they have missionaries too. <laughs> it's not just us. Satan has missionaries too. And this passage reminds us that anything, anything that you and I put our confidence in other than Jesus is not the right thing to put our confidence in, even if it's really good even if it's something the scripture says we should have in our lives. But scripture is clear that Jesus is the boat that gets us to heaven. And Paul tells us, he lists off all these things in these six verses. He says, don't put your confidence in a ritual. Don't put your confidence in your family heritage or your ethnicity. Don't put your confidence in your rank in the world. Don't put it in your traditions. Don't put it in our rule keeping or even our excitement and zeal and passion for God. Don't even put it in your obedience to what God tells you to live. He says some of those things are really good. I mean, Scripture is really clear. Like, obedience is good, right? Jesus likes obedience. Obedience is supposed to be in the life of a Christian. It's a mark that we know Jesus. That's what we talked about last week, right? In 1 John, John said that the way we know internally that we know Jesus is that we obey him. Obedience is commanded in the life of a Christian. Passion and zeal for the gospel is commanded in the life of a Christian. There are traditions in the church that are a part of Scripture. Going to church and being a part of the body of Christ is commanded in the book of the Bible. It's commanded in Scripture. But it is not what our confidence is in for eternal life. In Galatians 6, Paul said, neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. And what Paul was saying, really, is he says, if you get circumcised, it's fine. But it's not what gets you to heaven. If you're not circumcised, good for you. It's not what gets you to heaven. He says, a new creation is what gets you to heaven. 
Paul goes on in verses 7 and 8. And Paul has listed all these things. And this is what he says. He says, but whatever I gain, all these things that I had, whatever I had gained, I count them as loss for the sake of Jesus Christ. Indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Paul tells us his confidence is not in what he has done or accomplished. And Paul goes on to say that nothing he's done, nothing in this world compares to knowing Jesus. And what Paul's doing here is actually using an accounting illustration. In, in Paul's day, an accountant would, would make a T-square on a piece of paper, and on one side would be all of his assets, and on the other side would represent the profit of his business. And on the right side, he'd put all of his liabilities, all the things he owned. They represented what he owed. And, and Paul said, that's what he's doing here. Paul's saying he draws a line in the middle of the page, and on one side is all the things that seem profit, and on one side is all the things that seem loss. And Paul says what happens in the accounting world of the church is that when you have Jesus, everything seems like a loss compared to him. So Paul says, all the good things I've done, yeah, they're over here. All the accomplishments I've had, they're over here. All the places I've come from, they're over here. And Jesus, he's here. I count everything like a loss compared to knowing Jesus. Now, don't miss this. Paul's not saying those things are bad. Paul's not saying that everything we accomplish or that we have or the things that we, we have in this way, he's not saying they're bad. What he's saying is when you compare them to Jesus, they're trash. Now, they there might be good compared to other things, but compared to Jesus, Paul says, I think everything is a loss. And I'll be honest with you, this week that was convicting I don't know that I would say the same thing if I'm being completely honest. I mean, some of the things Paul listed in his life, a, a good job, a healthy bank account, a healthy life, a good spouse for my kids, a good spouse in my life, friendships and community, there are things in my life that I wouldn't call a loss. In fact, a lot of those things I would tell you I have put on the gain side of my life. But what Paul is saying is, he says, that's understandable, but just understand, Jesus is so good, and Jesus is so valuable, and Jesus is so important that knowing him makes everything else look bad. This is a terrible illustration, all right? I'm just going to preface it right off the bat. Just, just, no, just hang in there. You only got three more weeks, and then you get somebody that knows what they're doing up here, okay? But <laughs> this, is, this is terrible. I'm just letting you know ahead of time. But the only thing I could think of, and I didn't know Jesus at this time, so it doesn't even count, all right? But when I was in high school, like, my, my mode <laughs> was like, I hung out with three or four guys that were just slightly less good-looking than me. And that way, like, when we got, and I had a couple friends that, like, when the girls came around, I didn't want to be around them because they looked way better than me. But if I hung out with these two or three guys, this looked pretty good, <laughs> right? Now I'm that guy, right? Like, that's why I, I discovered this literally this week as I was thinking about this illustration. It's like the Holy Spirit goes, Justin, that's why college guys hang out with you now. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, because <laughs> they're all like, look at this guy. 
right? And, the, and so, but, but that's what I thought of, like that idea that, yeah, around me, they look pretty good. And what, and what Paul is saying is he's saying there's nothing wrong with those guys. He's saying compared to Jesus, they don't look that good. He says when we really know Jesus, not just about Jesus, but when we know him intimately and we spend time with him and we sit in his presence and we soak in his word and we listen to him, when we, when we spend time, when we know Jesus, it makes everything else look not that good. In fact, the, the, the word that the Bible translates filth or rubbish, no offense, it really means poop, okay? That's what it means. The word literally means dung. And what Paul is saying is he says, the things I normally used to brag about compared to Jesus, they're just a big pile of manure. They're worthless. What, what Paul says is, is I, I found this thing in my life. I found this person, the bread of life, the light of the world, the hope of all mankind, the forgiver of all sins. And he says, when I found Jesus, everything else just didn't seem that great anymore. And I wondered this morning, church, would we be able to say the same thing? Really say the same thing? I wouldn't all the time, if I'm being honest. And what that tells me is I need to know Jesus more. I need to spend more time with him so that I can realize what I have is so much better than everything I thought was really good. Jim Elliott has my favorite quote outside of Scripture, the missionary who said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And maybe that's what Paul was talking about, that it's not that these things were so bad, but they're not eternal. Jesus is the one thing that will usher me into eternity, and he is the one thing who will be with me forever in eternity. There is no question in that. And so the question for you and me this morning is, what do we treasure? What do we treasure more than Jesus? Francis Chan said, if you meet someone who claims to be a Christian, but they don't make much of Jesus in their life, you might have reason to be suspicious that they really know him. And Paul says, without a doubt, that nothing, nothing in this life compares to knowing Jesus. And Paul finishes this passage I'm going to start in verse 8 again because it's really important. Paul says, Indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Jesus, the righteousness from God that depends on my faith, that I may know Jesus, and I may know the power of Jesus' resurrection, and I might share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I will attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, I got no confidence in my accomplishments or my outward acts. I've realized I cannot put my confidence in what I do to get me to heaven. And Paul says that knowing Jesus is better than anything this world has to offer. And so Paul ends by saying, all my confidence is in Jesus and Jesus alone. Paul says, all my confidence is in Christ and Christ alone. Now understand, in the church world, in religious circles, Paul was the guy. 
before he met Jesus. Paul was the leader of the religious elite. He was zealous. He was on the top. He was the guy when somebody said, who's the best, who's the best follower of God in your group? They said, there's Paul. And I love what Warren Wearsby, the Bible commentator, says. He says Paul had to lose his religion so he could find salvation. You know, the funny thing is throughout Scripture, not just with Paul, the Bible has absolutely nothing good to say about the flesh. You ever notice that? Like there's never a point in Scripture where the Bible goes, flesh, that sounds good. You should have more flesh, right? It never says that. And yet, you ever notice that most of us today, most of us today try to almost entirely depend on our flesh to accomplish what we need? Paul said in Romans 7, he said, I know that nothing good dwells in me. I know it. I know there's nothing good in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but I don't have the ability to carry it out. I read that scripture and go, yeah, me too, Paul. Me too. See, the reality this morning is there's only one good work that takes sinners to heaven. There's just one. And you couldn't do it, and neither could I. The only good work that takes sinners to heaven is the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And that's where my confidence will lie. Because the reality is everything else in life at some point has let me down. And the thing that's let me down the most <laughs> is my own ability. I know that nothing good dwells in me because I want to do what's right, but I just seem to not have the ability to do it all the time. And so I'll rely on the good work of Jesus. See, see, Paul tells us the problem that we face in life is that only righteous people go to heaven. Paul says the truth is only righteous people go to heaven. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And Paul says the bad news is that none of us are. <laughs> only righteous people go to heaven. And then Paul goes, guess what? You're not one of them. Thanks, Paul. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> Paul says we can't ever be righteous on our own, but Paul says here's the good news. Here's the good news. We have to find another source of righteousness, and that only source is Jesus. That's why Jesus is the only one who's worthy of our confidence. Jesus, the one who Paul said that God, for our sake, made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that we in Jesus might become the righteousness of God. We are made righteous not by what we do, but by what Christ has already done. In Colorado Springs, there's a huge bridge over what they call the Royal Gorge. And the bridge is about 955 feet off of the ground from the riverbed below. That's a long ways if you don't do math, okay? Um, it's far enough down that I'll just tell you, if I was going to cross it, I'd look real close at the bridge, all right? I'm not a huge heights guy. Um, I used to roof, like in college, for a living, and I've roofed like 70 houses, probably, or 100 houses in my day, and I've fallen off two of them, both of ones that I worked with my dad, so I'll let you draw your own conclusion on that today, all right? And so I'm a little shaky now on things like that. And so I, I'm not a huge heights person. And if I was to walk across this, 
I'm just going to tell you I'm the guy that's going to look at what makes that happen, okay? I'm a little bit of a control freak if you haven't figured that out, right? I didn't fly in a plane for 25 years of my life, and people said, oh, are you, are you scared to fly? It was probably 30 years. 30 years of my life, are you scared to fly? I said, I'm not scared to fly at all. If they let me fly the plane, I'll go. Do you have a pilot's license? No, but I genuinely believe that I know more than they do, and so I'll do that, right? So I'll, if I'm going across this bridge, I'm going to look at it. I'm going to test it. I'm going to make sure that the ends are secure before I ever start out on it. I'm going to make sure that the planks are all solid. I'm going to make sure that it doesn't wiggle. I'm going to make sure that it holds up a guy of my plump proportions. And I'm going to walk out there, and I'm going to turn around and tell everybody to wait and don't go when I go because we might be over the weight limit, so just hang on. Because here's the deal. I will not go out on that unless I know it is firm and secure. I will not start. I will not take one single step until I am confident that it will hold. Because see, knowing that it's firm is going to give me the confidence not only to walk across it, but it's going to give me the confidence to relax and enjoy the view like I'm supposed to. I'll never do what I'm supposed to do on that bridge if I don't think it's secure. In fact, I probably won't walk at all. Church, as the band comes to lead us in our song this morning, can I tell you the same is true in life? In order to live this life the way that God intended us to live, in order to rejoice in all things, which Paul keeps saying over and over again in this letter, in order to be able to walk and enjoy the view and to live in a way that God intended us to live in this life, you have to be confident you're on secure ground. And if you're not, you'll never do what God intended you to do. In fact, you probably won't really walk at all. And church, can I tell you this morning, Jesus is the only thing that's secure in this life. That's it. He's the only thing. And when I'm not in him, I'll never live the way that I'm called to live as a creation of God. I'll never see the things I'm supposed to see. I'll never have the joy that God intends me to have as one of his children. If it's not secure, I'll never really live. And so my question for you this morning is do you have that security? Do you have the security that allows you to live forgiven and free? And if not, Boy, would we love to talk to you about that. Would we love to tell you of the secure foundation, the secure bridge from death to life that is only found in Jesus. I would love to visit with you about that. Dave would love to visit with you about that. Our elders would love to visit with you about that. But if you're here this morning and you do, if like me, you've surrendered your life to Jesus, can I ask a different question as we get ready to sing? Are we living in that security today? Well, we know it's secure, but are we walking in a way that, that tells the world that we're secure? Are we counting everything a loss compared to knowing Jesus? And if not, boy, we'd like to talk to you about that too. We'd love to help you 
live in the security that you have in Jesus. And we'd love for you to help us because we don't do it all the time either. This morning as we sing, that's the security that we worship in. That's the security that you can have in Jesus. We invite you to find that and to live in that as we stand and sing this morning.